Once Christ has entered into your heart, you are a new creation. This means you'll automatically be perfect. After saying the sinner's prayer, you will become exactly like Jesus in every way. You will have faith like him. You will be honest like him, pure as him. You'll be the same height and weight as him. You will even notice the color of your skin and hair change so that you literally become exactly the same person as Jesus Christ. This is the Bible After Hours. Can you hear me? Hey, is, is this thing on? Okay, good. I am the Foulmouthed Preacher, and this is the Underground Church. Like the name suggests, Foulmouthed. I will be using some stronger, some vulgar language. Vulgar originally, just meant to speak the language of the people. So that's what we plan to do today. Um, so just be warned, if you have children in the car, maybe listen to this later. The church above wants people to feel like a simple prayer of faith is going to completely change who you are. They want to act like you will never have any other doubts, that you should never make a single other mistake in your whole life. And this is why so many people in the church live in guilt. They live in shame. Even though Jesus promised that faith in him will lead to freedom and renewed life in our souls, you see most of the people who claim Jesus living in shackles, living enslaved, living in doubt and fear like they don't amount to anything. I lived with a lot of guilt, a lot of shame especially after accepting salvation in my life. When I realized how much of, you know, a fuck-up I was, I really felt the guilt for that. Once I accepted salvation, I saw, oh, shit, I messed up. I fucked up. And when you realize how much you fucked up, sometimes that's when the guilt starts to set in, even though salvation should be the thing that's kind of wiping that guilt away. So I got resaved a lot of times, over and over. I'd, you know, pray the sinner's prayer. I'd accept Jesus. I'd be like, oh, hey, let me do better. And I spent a lot of time wondering was i really a christian or not like i spent a lot of time like did this salvation really count did this time did it really work am i going to be good enough this time am i going to be really saved now am i still going to want to watch pornography am i still going to say bad words to people am i still going to make people feel bad like i always wondered did it sit this time did i really save this time or did like how or am i still just a fuck up you know like that was my wonder i always wondered am i really a christian now like, did I, did I do it right this time? Did I say the prayer correctly? You know, like, what? Because I always felt, just based on how people were doing sermons and how I heard this message delivered, I always felt like, when you're really saved, you don't mess up anymore. So if you are still saying bad words or making feel, people feel bad, watching porn, you know, whatever, lying, stealing, if you're still doing those things, then you must have never been saved in the first place. So because I was still fucking up, I just assumed I must have not done salvation right. I didn't know if it was because I didn't pray right, if I was taking communion in the wrong way, like I shouldn't have been taking it. I wasn't really sure what it was, but I knew something must have been keeping me from really being saved because someone who's really saved doesn't do the kind of things that I was doing. So I used to think that I couldn't really receive salvation. I still had so many questions, doubts, and no matter how hard I tried, nothing went away. None of the doubts went away. None of my fuck-ups went away. I still did the same mistakes. So I must just not be able to have real salvation. You know, I don't think I would have put it in so many words, but it began to feel like that. It really began to feel defeatist over the whole idea of getting saved. Rather than assuming my presumptions about salvations were wrong or that what I was taught was wrong, I assumed that I was the fuck up. It was me that was wrong. I assumed that I could never reach God because my brain just wouldn't let these things go, wouldn't let the doubts go, wouldn't let, you know, fear go. And because I couldn't let it go, I could never reach God. I was fucked. And I was damned. 
I was utterly beyond the help of God. I was utterly beyond communicating with the divine. I was utterly beyond really being part of the church or really being saved. That's how I felt. That's how I was led to feel. I believe a lot of people still feel that way or have felt similarly. They felt like that right now, maybe you feel like you still have doubts. You still are a fuck up. You aren't really saved. You question salvation. You question whether you're really one of God's people or whether you're just a fuck up who keeps pretending. So the good news uh, is regardless of how fucked up you are, how messed up you are, even if you're as bad as me, no matter how much you question, how much you doubt, no matter how hard it is for you to let go of anger, lust, jealousy, whatever, God loves the fuck-ups. I say that here a lot. That's sort of their catchphrase is God loves the fuck-ups. If you're a fuck-up, great news, God loves you. That's what God's here for. He's here for the damned. He's here for the fucked. He's here for the shithead. He's here for the losers. He's here for the pathetic. God loves us all. No matter where you're at. No matter how hard you try. No matter how incapable you are. In fact, God is made strong in our weakness, the Bible says. God loves the fuck-ups. So if you ever asked God for help, and you prayed about it, and you work with him, then you are currently being saved. Good news. Go through the Bible. All of the great heroes of the Bible, they fucked up the whole way through. David asked for a virgin to sleep with on his deathbed. You know, there isn't this story of, oh, some of us get it right and some of us don't. There's the story in the Bible of none of us get it right. God loves us all the way through and our lives with God, as long as we're reaching out and we're trying, that is the process of salvation. And God will one day bring us all into salvation, into co true communion with him again. Just like what we see in the beginning of that garden of Adam of Eden. God's going to bring us all into that kind of true communion with him again. Our life right now, our life in him post-salvation, it's a process. Salvation itself is a process, and that's okay. Christ set us free, and those who are set free in Christ are free indeed. It is for freedom Christ set us free. So many verses in the Bible talk about how the whole reason Jesus came so that we would be free and so that we could accept freedom. And it explains that freedom isn't just freedom from being a bad person. It's also freedom from the law. And it's not just freedom to do whatever you want, but it's freedom from your soul being clutched and trapped in fear and doubt and jealousy and anger and lust. Those, those are the powers of darkness that we are battling today. Not, not ourselves, not humans, but these principalities of darkness. That, those are what we're battling. We're all fuck ups. And God's working on us. And that's okay. The church historically has often asked for signs. And, you know, we often have to believe when there isn't any sign of anything higher or anything better at all. I mean, there's so many times. Think through the last 2,000 years, we had the Crusades. We had the Spanish Inquisition. The church fucked up a lot. And those in the church who weren't part of that still had to find a way to believe God was real or the faith would have died. You know? Uh, go through the medieval times, people just die in the craze, the Black Plague. There were so many times it was so hard to believe there couldn't have been a higher calling. And yet the church would ask for signs, whether we received them or not, people found a reason to believe, and the process continued. It wasn't perfected. The church has never been perfect. It never will be. The church is fucked up just like we are. The Catholic Church is people whose very job is to go verify miracles or signs. You know, they go out to see, hey, is this really true? Did this really happen? Does this really count? Is this really the pillow Jesus laid his head on? You know, whatever. They have their own scientists, archaeologists, whatever, to verify the things of God and artifacts about Jesus. 
why would we do that? You know, why does Catholic Church still have that unless there is some doubt that these miracles and stuff are real? We have to have something that verifies. It's okay to seek out signs and to verify them. It's not... Doubting isn't a sin. You know, choosing not to believe is the sin. Doubting actually strengthens your faith. We all know others whose lives have gone amok, who's, you know, begged God for a sign and received nothing. Gave up on their faith because of this, maybe. Maybe you're one of them. That's fine. I've been that sometimes where I've asked for a sign because my life's fucked up and I just want to know God's there somewhere and I didn't get it. Often churches today, they go a little bit too far in one direction or the other, right? We'll hear some churches that are advocating for prosperity gospel, claiming that wealth is a sign of God's favor and blessings on your life, right? That favor ain't fair. God loves the people who follow him. And if you're really in God's will, he's going to take care of you. That kind of message, right? And then on the other side, you have <laughs> the exact opposite. And some people point to someone's sickness or misfortunes, poverty, whatever. This is a sign that you've sinned, that you've done something wrong. Um, others look at the conditions of the church or the nation, and they refuse to see any signs that the church could be missing from the heart of God. You know, so we, we sometimes we point to, oh, you have a cold, you must be in sin. Sometimes, you know, we go really far in one direction or, you know, oh, that guy has millions. God really likes him. Or, oh, you're poor. You must not be right with God. All of that's, that's stupid. It's just dumb shit. But then you also have the dumb shit on the other side where we see signs of where the church completely missing the heart of God. People are starving around us. The church itself is participating in riots against the very country it's in trying to help. And it's like, yeah, um, if you can't see that as a sign that you're fucked up, that's also some dumb shit. So we have some dumb shit where there's obvious signs we're ignoring. And then we have some dumb shit on the other side where there's stuff that just isn't a sign at all. And we're just making something out of nothing. And it's all just really dumb shit. The truth is, the Bible tells us what signs to look for, right? If God's people, among God's people, there are poor, there are hungry, and there is hate, then you can say that God's people right there, they're not following God's will as a whole, not individual people. People try to individualize the Bible in a way it wasn't meant to be. If you look at one particular person who spent his whole life dedicated to God, preaching the word, helping others, and he's still poor, that's not a sign he's not in God. If anything, it's a sign that he gave of himself and is like Christ. We need to be a little less eager to point to signs that aren't there and a little less oblivious and <laughs> try not to ignore stuff that's right in front of our face. The church has problems. When you see symptoms, there's a sickness, right? But you can't just say one little thing and assume what's wrong. If you have the poor in your church, that doesn't mean those people are sinning. There is a symptom, but that symptom doesn't always mean the same sickness. It isn't always those people are sinning. Sometimes it is. Sometimes you have someone in your church with a gambling problem. That's why he's poor. But a lot of times you have poor people in your church because the church isn't doing their job and taking care of its own. That's the problem. So when you see a symptom, don't assume a sickness, but also don't assume nothing's wrong at all. If there's a symptom, something is wrong. Luckily, the Bible refutes most of these mistakes pretty blatantly. We've talked about Job before. Ugh. It's difficult to point to a clear meeting in the book of Job, but it's really clear that his friends used his condition to point to a sign that he messed up, that he fucked up in some way, and that God pretty plainly says, no, you guys are wrong, Job's not. So, whereas a lot of times, your condition might be a result of bad decisions or sin or whatever, it's just as likely that it's something else. You Either way, poor conditions or lack of wealth is in no way a sign that God is not with you. It's just very clear. That does not mean God is not with you. Bible says it plainly. 
We accept that for what it is. Look at Matthew chapter 24, though. Jesus both tells his followers to look, and they will see signs of the end. But he also tells them it's going to come like a thief in the night, and no one's going to see it coming. So there's signs, but no one's going to see it coming, right? 1 John 2 states it will be a time when many antichrists appear. So when you see a lot of people who are kind of playing this part of pretending to be like Christ, pretending like we're your savior, I am the retribute for you, or I am your resurrection, I am your redemption, whatever, like that kind of stuff. Like those people, A, are lying bastards, B, need to shut the fuck up, sorry, it pisses me off, but truly, truly, the people who do that, who use God's name but don't know God's word, those are antichrist. That is a sign of the end times. That is a sign that something is fucked up. People use Christ's name to say, here's how to get wealthy. When they use Christ's name to say, here's how we favor this people over this people. When they use Christ's name to push a political agenda, they're antichrist and it's fucked up and we need to do something about it. There's one story in the gospel, a Pharisee seeking a sign from God about Jesus. Um, and Jesus reads their mind like a fucking superhero and he tells them, no sign is going to be given to you. Because he is the sign. Jesus is the sign. So we're talking about signs and wonders. Sometimes God gives it gladly. Sometimes God says, yeah, that's not a sign at all. Sometimes he says, I'm the sign. Get the fuck over yourself. The human mind is too fickle for us to just seek signs and expect that to give us all the answers. You know, sometimes you're going to see signs that aren't there. Sometimes you're going to completely miss something that's right in front of your face. Because that's just how humans do. That's how the human do. It is a good thing to do. It's a good thing to look for signs, but we have to be open to it, and we can't just hang all of our beliefs on signs and how we interpret whatever happens, because our interpretations can be wrong. You know, it's easy to explain away a real sign and not see it, like Jesus himself being right before you, like with the Pharisees, just couldn't see God in front of them. It's also easy to make up a sign out of nothing and ascribe to God what he did not intend. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or what person is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf of bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will not give him a snake, will he? Jesus is getting sarcastic on us. So if you, despite being evil, your father who is in heaven, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? I love it. I just... I love the snarkiness, the sarcasm of Jesus. Jesus is like, fuck you guys. Listen, if if your kid asks you for, for food, you're going to give him food, right? Okay, so why will God not make sure his people said? Like, if your kid asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake and have it bite him in the face, are you? That's fucking stupid. God's not stupid. And Jesus just tells him how it is. Whatever you've opened yourself up to, that's the sign you're going to find. When Jesus is in front of you and you're asking to see God, it's because you don't want to see God. If you have a selfish heart, Whatever sign you see, it's probably going to be about your own well-being or how bad off you are. If you look for signs about others, you're probably going to find them and you're going to assume whatever you want about the other. But if you are in sync with God and his heart, then you're going to find signs and wonders about heavenly things. This does not mean the signs are any less real or more real, but it should caution us in how we seek for them. Because what you're looking for, you will find. Seek, you will find. Seek for shit, you'll find shit. Seek for God, you'll find God. How much talk do we really put in signs when our minds are just going to let us see what we want to see? We've been going through Judges. I know, I'm really far into this to remind you guys that we're in the book of Judges. You know, 
we, we've talked through Deborah last time and how God very clearly anoints women to do his ministry and his work. Now we're going to go to, I, I'm skipping ahead. I'm not doing every chapter of your verse. I'm sorry. I'm going to go through the highlights and talk about what I want to talk about. This time we're talking about Gideon. Gideon doubted. And it's shown that it's okay to doubt. God plays along. God helps Gideon. God gives him signs that he asked for. God doesn't question Gideon's doubt, doesn't condemn Gideon for his doubt. He's like, hey, fucking idiot. Damning you to hell now. No. God's like, okay, you doubt. Let's work with this. Let's see what's going on here. So he asked for something specific, and he got it. Um, this is just a story, though. I don't think this is history. I don't think it's necessarily exactly what happened. But I think we have a lot of truth and a lot of meaning we can get out of the story of Gideon. Um, and something like this might happen for you. It might not. No, don't take this as this is God saying, do this. It's going to happen the same exact way. It might not. And that's okay. What made Gideon special or called by God? It's a good question, right? Gideon asks God for a sign. He asked, am I really called by you? He felt God calling him, but he wasn't really sure. So, he, so you know, he does this thing. He's like, hey, um, God, if you're really calling me, it's going to be raining everywhere except for on this piece of wool I put outside. It's going to randomly be dry. And then that happens. And he still doubts. He's like, you know what? Okay, it's going to be dry everywhere, but the wool is going to be the only thing wet the next day. And then that happens. Eventually, after he asks for some really specific signs and he gets them, he's like, okay, God must really be trying to get me to do something here. I think it's good to be cautious before you just say, it is God's will that I preach to you all. It is God's will that I did this or that I did that. Because if you're not a thousand percent sure and you're saying something's God's will and it turns out wrong, people are going to assume that about God. When you say something is God's will, you are being his representative. So you better be, you better be sure, you better be fucking certain. That's what Gideon did. So I think that's wise. Um, but God called Gideon because Gideon doubted, because Gideon loved God, and because Gideon wanted to see a sign from God. God didn't call Gideon because he had perfect faith. Gideon doubts. God was like, yeah, I like that. I want someone who's going to be sure that he's really hearing from me before he speaks for me. Gideon loved God. God he, Gideon wanted to do the will of God. So God was like, yeah, of course I want this guy to be the one representing me. And Gideon wanted to see God work. And God wanted to do something mighty. So he picked someone who wanted to see him do it. Whether you get a sign from God or not matters a lot less than whether you see him or not. You may or may not get the sign, but you can look for God and you will find. Seek and you will find. The Pharisee in Jesus' time, they wanted to see something to help them and their arguments so that they could win an argument. They didn't care if they saw God or not. That's why they would never have seen a sign from God, even with him standing right in front of them. Gideon wanted to see God, so he did. And you can too. Do, 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 do. Okay. You can tell him, like Gideon. It's a good thing. You can be a fuck-up, like me. That's fine. You can seek for signs and wonders, or you can be blind to what's right in front of you. All of that's fine. God loves everyone, and he calls those who doubt. God chooses those who are looking for him and will love him. It's not about the signs or whether you doubt or not or whether you, you can see what's right in front of you. It's about earnestly seeking God first, loving God and his people first. That's why God chose Gideon. If you're doubting and you're listening to this podcast because you want to understand better who God calls, then that's why God's chosen you. Listen, if you're doubting, and you're listening to me, and you're like, oh, I want to know who God calls, and that's why you're listening? Good news. He's called you. He wants you. If that's you, that's who's God's chosen. How do I know if I'm seeking God or loving him first, or if I'm trying to seek something for myself, or if I'm missing him right in front of me? First John chapter 4, verses 16 through 21. 
tells us a lot about this. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, we also are in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Repeat, 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Even the fuck-ups, even those who don't. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, and yet he hates his own brother or sister, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother and sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. God loves you. Full stop. God loves you. God loves you. God, the divine, the maker of the universe, loves you. If you seek him and love him in return, then you will love all his creation. Your neighbors, your enemies in other countries, your enemies in this country, the poor down the road, the rich guy who lords it over you. You'll love them all. If you love God, you love all his creation. All the people, all your brothers and sisters in God, the whole church, you're not going to fear or hate because you're going to be too full of love. You're not going to hate the wasp that stings you when you get too close to its nest. You're not going to hate the snake that bit your brother and poisoned him with venom. You're not going to hate anything. You're going to love all God's creation. The dogs, the cats, the snakes, the wasps, the bees, the silkworms, the bears, the lions and tigers, oh my, your neighbors, the people you've never seen before. You will love them. Not just, oh, I hope well for them. No, it will truly do something in your heart where you care for them. You'll just be, if you are sitting there thinking of some random person in New Zealand you've never met, and your heart isn't moved, you're not of God. But if you're thinking of that person and your heart's moved and you want to pray for this random person you've never met in New Zealand, stop right now, pray for him. That's of God. Love isn't just some word. It should mean something. You should truly feel something for all of God's creation. Because you have love and God is love, you have God. Doubt, that's fine. But doubt in love. Seek for signs, that's fine. But seek them in love. Look at what's right in front of you and see it in love. Do all things in love, and no matter how bad you fuck it up along the way, or how bad you struggle along the way, or how damned you feel or damned you are, no matter how you see or don't see God along the way, seek love, show love, live in love, and you will be saved. You are being saved. Pray for signs and wonders. Seek them out. Seek for God, and He will, fi- and you'll find Him. You know, Gideon, as he goes along in his story, he finds these wonders. He ends up leading an army and judges. He rules a large part of Israel as judge for a long time. Gideon is, honestly, there's a good chance that he's the judge the longest. I don't know off the top of my head. He's definitely one of the most renowned judges of Israel. I would say he was the best judge of Israel. If we're talking about the leaders of Israel before the kings, Gideon might have done it the best. You know, he's got some he's got some fight with Moses and Joshua, but Gideon was truly a man of God because he doubted and because he loved God. Are you praying for signs and wonders about yourself or your well-being? Are you praying for signs to see God because you love him? Remember, the Pharisees, they're like, oh, show us a sign, but it's to win their argument. It was about them. But Gideon asked God for a sign. Not that anybody else would see, just that he would see. Why? Because he wanted to see God. 
What kind of sign are you looking for? One to prove your argument or one so that you can just see the God that you love. Do you love God and others? Do you love his creation? Is love in and dwelling in you and through you? Or do you see more selfishness in your prayers and signs? Seriously, next time you pray, sit and evaluate. Like, what did I pray for? Was I asking God to help me and my family? Was I asking him to help my friend? Was I asking him to have a nice career or for my wife or for my, 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 my? Or was I asking God and praying that I'd see him, that I'd love him, feel him closer? Was it my, 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 my? Or was it him, him, him? You, God, you, God, you, God. What do you really love? What are you really praying for? What signs are you truly seeking? I was going to tell you where your heart is. It's okay to doubt. Seek ye first, God. Seek ye first, love. Love his creation. Love him. You don't matter so much. Your doubts don't matter so much. Your fuck-ups don't matter so much. God, his creation, love, that's what matters. As you're evaluating your own prayers and you're seeing whether or not you're really looking for signs of God and praying to see God or whether you're looking for signs for yourself and your own well-being or for your family's future, is that what you're praying for? When you're evaluating these prayers, you're going to be able to see your heart where it's really at. Be honest with yourself. Are you seeking God or are you seeking yourself? This is going to allow you to challenge yourself, humble yourself, and seek out love first. If all God's people and everyone who claimed God as their own was seeking him first truly and his love, rather than just seeking out how God's going to benefit them, help them, improve their lives, make their arguments better, give them wealthy, then the church could finally, really, truly be the church. The church could be the sign of God that everyone's looking for. When people ask, where's the church? Where's God? The church is the body of Christ. We should be able to point at the church and he's right in front of you. That's your sign. The church is the sign to the world. Right now, I'm not so sure that's true. The homeless would have homes provided by our churches. The sick would be healed, covered by insurance provided by our churches. The poor would be fed. The needy would have their needs met. And the church would become the body of Christ that we that sung about in Casting Crown songs. That's wrote about in Ephesians. We'd see the church be the church. We'd see needs being met. If we were truly seeking God first, if our signs that we asked for were about wanting to see God as himself, wanting to see love as himself, rather than seeking the sign so that we could win an argument. Church would be the church. Needs would be met. Hungry would be fed. Sick would be healed. Homeless would have homes. That tells me something. That's a sign I can point to and say something's fucked up in the church right now. We need to do better. We need to seek signs to seek God. I don't want you to share this on your public social media accounts. You know, it might offend people. I said fuck a lot. We don't want that. That's not why we do this. We don't do this to be offensive. Do this to speak the language of the people. So people could hear God in their own language and see, oh, this is how we're fucking up. Or, oh, this is what God wants. Oh, here is the heart of God. And I hope I was able to betray that today. So don't share this to people who might be offended. Don't put it up on your public social media account. Instead, I want you to share this with just one friend or family member. Just one who might benefit from hearing this or who might engage you in conversation so you can have a further discussion about this. Talk more about the kinds of signs and wonders that you're seeking. Share it with one friend you think you could have a deep conversation with about this topic. And let's bring the church back to the common people. Thank you for listening. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, go to the website in the description below. If you'd like to check out other shows like this, be sure to subscribe to the network.